Good evening, everybody. <laughs> so we're looking at Psalm 18 tonight. And uh, I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. We'll just ask the Lord to help us. Our blessed God, Heavenly Father, we are we're grateful for, the, for the, your holy and precious word. We're thankful that we can read it together. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit who takes it and applies it to our hearts and our minds and feeds us. And once again, we look to you to do that for us this evening as we look into this passage. So I just uh, commit this time to you in our Savior's precious name. Amen. So at some point in my learning journey of the Bible, someone suggested that when we study a passage, we ask the question, what would be missing if this passage wasn't in the Bible? I mean, or to put it another way, what is the unique contribution of this passage. And I think that this psalm, there's something unique in it that we don't get in most of the psalms. There's a lot of common themes that weave their way through a lot of psalms that we have in Psalm 18. We're going to talk about the strength of the Lord. We looked at that a month or so ago. Love to the Lord, deliverance from, from difficult situations. But this psalm has something that I don't think the others have. Maybe if if uh, you find another psalm that has this in it, you let me know afterwards. So we, we get from the title, there's a good introduction here on the, the, uh, the superscription here. It says that David wrote the psalm, Psalm of David, when he was, uh, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of the soul. We don't know exactly what incident that was, but he was delivered from Saul. And actually, the psalm is found twice in the Bible. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 22, almost verbatim. There are some small changes, but it's the same. It's repeated. Someone has said it made it to the history book, and now it's in the hymn book. So <clears throat> there are a few minor changes that David probably made. And in it, in the, uh, in the little... Introduction, he also calls himself the servant of Jehovah, the servant of the Lord. And that was a title used for just a handful of people in the Bible, Moses, Joshua, and the Lord Jesus, of course. And David calls this writing a song, a song, indicating it was meant to be sung. And there are some 50 psalms that are called songs. There's a lot of military language in this psalm, and there's a lot of geographical images too. But we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 to 10, that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but we fight against uh, <clears throat> spiritual forces. So, so there are many practical applications for us as we go through this psalm. And here's just a bit of an outline. We start with his... Declaration of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And then he identifies a problem and he prays. And then we have a divine intervention. And then we have a deliverance. And then we have a little paragraph on, on righteousness. And then we have this nice section. I mean, I'm just organizing it this way, where David talks about what you have done for him, what you have done for me in referencing God. There's also a, a prophetic interpretation of this psalm. 
along with it being in the life of David, we can also see it as part of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ had unwavering trust in his father, and uh, God came and smote his son on the cross, and then God delivered him from the cross, and, uh, and then he went and has now has his high priestly ministry, and one day he'll have his ministry um, as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords during the millennium. So let's start then by reading this declaration in verse 1 to 3. Verses 1 to 3. He says, I will love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. And I want to just linger on this very first uh, uh, verb, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. If we think about it, David had a relationship of love with God. He loves God. And we love God. And the word for love here is actually not the usual one. It's one that, uh, it's, a, it's a close one. It's one of uh, a real closeness, like Mary when she wanted to hug the Lord Jesus after his resurrection. The psalmist in, in Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he heard my voice. And we think of, of David and all that he did in his 70 years or so, and all the psalms that he wrote, all the the... the what he did for the Lord and his, his attitude. In Psalm 132, David says, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. The psalmist says, rather, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. Surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. So where did, where did, uh, David got all this motivation and this energy to serve the Lord. He loved the Lord. It was always of love. And so we can ask ourselves that question, what is our motivation in serving God? Is it, uh, is it love? You remember when uh, John wrote to the, the church in Ephesus, he says, you've lost your first love. We can, we can love the Lord Jesus. We can fall away from our first love. So how is our love life with the Lord? Because in fact, that's the only motivation that will last. If we do anything else for any other reason, uh, we won't last in our service for the Lord or in in much else. We love, uh, it's, it's an endless source of motivation for doing anything. A mother at the end of her day, she doesn't, you know, take out her calculator and says, say to her child, well, I spent three hours washing your clothes, doing your meals, and and uh, taking you to school and, and looking after you, and that'll be, you know, 30 bucks an hour, $100, put that away, and you can pay me that with interest when you graduate and get a job. You know, it just doesn't work like that, right? Uh, <laughs> we, we do a lot of things out of love, and when we do them out of love, things work fine. And that's how we're to live our Christian life, and that's how we're to serve the Lord, and that's how we're to relate to one another. And he declares his love to God, and he does it many times, and he does it right here very clearly. And then he goes on to describe the Lord as his strength. There's a lot of images here from the geography and the military world. We're not going to 
linger on those too much tonight, but <clears throat> we uh, we read them is his rock and his strength and his soul and his fortress. Let's move on then to um, the problem. Okay, in verses four and five, <clears throat> the pangs of death have surrounded me. Your version, I'm reading from the New King James Version, says, the pangs of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid, the sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, and the snares of death confronted me. The ESV says, the cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, snares of death confronted me. So he uses these parallel expressions, the pangs or the cords of death and the floods of ungodliness, torrents of destruction, sorrows of Sheol, the cords of the grave, the snares of death. He is, he is in a bad way. He's trapped. <laughs> and he's feeling uh, the tightness of his, of his difficulty. We know from the context that he's in a military situation and he, he probably feels surrounded. He knows that he's going to be killed if God doesn't intervene. But we can perhaps relate this to our own situations, I'm sure every one of you at one point in your life, you might have feel that you were trapped or you were you were in a desperate situation, even if your life wasn't being threatened. But uh, as life goes on, we can feel this way, things closing in on us. And in fact, there are at least 30 psalms where he expresses this need, where he is uh, needs deliverance, and he cries out to God for deliverance. He's in a situation that he feels everything closing in on him, and he feels trapped. Um, life can be that way for us. If we take the example of, of, of the psalmist, David clearly had a default uh, reaction to, to the many, there's at least 30 psalms where he expresses this himself in the many situations where he cries out to God. He cries out to God for deliverance. And he does this here. But in thinking of this, I was thinking of the truth that the, the wages of sin is death, right? That's the greatest problem we all have is death. And fortunately, the gospel is the answer to that problem. Uh, and we read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 to 57, So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. So, I mean, at the end of the day, this is what uh, we're all going to be slowed down and become immobile at some point, and we're going to die. <laughs> but God has given us eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise God for that that wonderful promise that we have. So he prays. He goes on to pray. He prays in verse 6. And he, he, he says, In my distress, I called, a, I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. It's a great study when, when we... Go through the Psalms and just underline answered prayer, where the psalmist says, he heard my voice, he heard my voice. And I'm, I'm impressed and I'm inspired by the relationship that David had. David was a man like us. David had this relationship with God that when he had a problem, he just took it to him. 
and it's it's almost amusing. I guess the, he, when you're, it's not that amusing when you're about to be killed, but it was always, many times he says, oh, and by the way, hurry up, <laughs> make haste. If you don't intervene really soon, I'm done. And it's almost humorous to me in, in any case. But <clears throat> now let's look at these next verses because here's what I find is unique in this Psalm. And we'll read the next uh, several verses, starting from verse seven. We have, a, we have a divine intervention. It says, the earth shook and trembled. The foundation of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heaven also and came down and darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind and he made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, at the, of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above and took me and drew me out of the waters and delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place, and he delivered me because he delighted in me. So <clears throat> we have here, and I think this is what is unique to this psalm, we have a divine intervention. God uh, comes in a supernatural way. We have here, it's called a theophany or an epiphany. The earth shakes, the, there, there's smoke and there's fire like we see in the book of Revelation, and uh, heavens uh, are bowed, he comes down, and <clears throat> God delivers him from the situation. Now, it was certainly a military situation, but <clears throat> uh, the Lord responded to David's prayer. David didn't tell him what to do. David didn't say, Lord, you've got to intervene supernaturally and do something. No, he just cried out to him. But in this particular instance, and uh, I think it's unique in the Psalms. I don't, I don't, there are, maybe there are other Psalms where God delivers in this way, but in David's situation, God came down miraculously and scattered the enemies. And as I was meditating upon this chapter, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, we are, we're, we're believers in God. We believe in the Almighty God, all knowing God, infinite, um, all knowing, all powerful. But we've grown up in a, in a naturalistic society. We, we've grown up in a, with an education that we don't believe in miracles. We don't believe in Almighty God. <laughs> we believe in two plus two equals four, and that's it. And uh, But when we read the Bible, we believe in a God who can do miracles, right? Now, uh, <clears throat> There are times when people, well, we know the, we all know the example of the Apostle Paul. He prayed for God to heal him, and God said, no, you need this for your humility. So, you know, there, there are times when God wants to, uh, Tom Brown gave us a nice message on testings and trials and disciplines. There are times when God, you know, leaves us in a situation because we need to learn something, or uh, he wants to teach us something, but we can ask him about that. But there are times when 
it seems to me that we, we do right well to say, well, you know, God, if you want to intervene and do a miracle, we'd be okay with that, right? <laughs> and perhaps we miss out on a lot of God's blessing because we, we forget that we can ask this of God. God is, God can intervene and uh, for the asking sometimes. If he doesn't want to do it, well, maybe he'll show us why he doesn't want to do it. But it seems to me that there are a lot of situations where we could perhaps ask for God, for God's intervention. We have an example right here. We don't have to tell God what to do. But we just say, you know, if you want to do a miracle here, uh, go right ahead. And perhaps uh, we forget about that. We forget that God wants his children to be blessed. He wants us not to have an easy life where God's an ATM machine. We're not talking about that. But there are situations where he wants to work things out for us. And we shouldn't lose hope. We shouldn't lose hope. Because God can intervene. And this is the God we believe in, right? This is the God we believe in. And to me, this is the unique part of this psalm, and it is, it is an example for us that we can pray to him. And if uh, God has showed us that there's things he wants to teach us through a situation, and we, we learn them and we're doing them, and so on, we can go to God and say, uh, I need your help right away. And the earnestness of our prayer, I think, is the key to uh, answered prayer. When we really are earnest and we're really in it, we really need help, we pray to God, we'll get a very specific answer. So I think we have a lot of situations where we can say, this one we need a miracle for, right? And we should pray for miracles in that regard. So moving on, um, there's a, another interesting thing. It's, it's a bit of a long psalm, but the Lord uh, brings them out, puts them in a broad place. And the, a broad place, as you follow this through in the Psalms, it's the opposite of a narrow space where he's trapped. <laughs> so there's an interesting little a few verses here that I want to comment on. In verse 20, we'll just read it. When we read, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God, for all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless before him, and I kept myself from iniquity, therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. Now when we read that, it kind of... Uh, we say, no, that, that, that doesn't sound good at all because we don't have any righteousness. It's the Lord's righteousness. And uh, <clears throat> how does that line up with us as Christians? And we get it, actually. I think I put them on the, the screen, if you can see them, on the number of references where this sort of idea comes through several times where he's saying, um, and, and I'm going to suggest to you, and we can, we can discuss it, but we can discuss it, but in the Psalms, when we read the Psalms, there are two classes of people. There's the wicked, and then there's the righteous. <laughs> and the righteous, and when you, we read the rest of the Psalms, we'll see that, that David relies on God's mercy many times. He relies on God's power. He relies on God from, from A to Z. And he's, I suggest to you, he's not saying that um, he's sinless. He's not saying that God owes him something because he's 
he's uh, acting righteously, though it, it might sound like that. I suggest to you that he's saying that uh, potentially he has a clear conscience before God and that he has, he's on God's side and he's done what God has asked him to do. And uh, there are times in the Psalms where he doesn't have a clear conscience and he, and he, and he doesn't pray. And in Psalm 66, verse 18, he says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended the voice of my prayer. So it's, uh, he's confessing his, his, his um, trust in God, his walking in God's ways. And in the New Testament, we have, we have something similar to this. Um, there are conditions to our prayers. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, we read, Husbands likewise deal with them, their spouses, with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of God, that your prayers may not be hindered. So right there, there is a, a condition. You can be... Uh, saved and a Christian and so on, but he says if you're not treating your wife properly, it's going to hinder your prayers. Uh, in John 15, verse 7, we read, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. So th th we do have conditions in the New Testament for God answering our prayers. Um, God gives us holiness we, it's never our holiness, and David would say the same thing, and we're going to read about that. Everything he has comes from God. So it's not our personal righteousness, but he's being honest towards God that he's not. He's walking uh, with a clean conscience before God. And there are other examples in the, in the New Testament where we see that God is not going to answer our prayers if we are deliberately doing something that's not his will. It's fairly obvious he's not going to give us the strength to do things that are not according to his will. And he gives us holiness, he gives us holiness, and then he blesses us, blesses us because we're walking in it. Now, I'd like us to look at this, these last few verses, one particular theme, theme in these verses, and that is the, the reason for David's success. And he had lots of successes. Uh, over 13 times, he says, he addresses God, David addresses God in the, in the second person. He says, you or your, at least 13 times from verse 35 onwards. Verse 35, you have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has done this for me. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarge my path. So this, this here is not his own self-righteousness, right? You're do, you've done this. You've done that. Verse 40, you have given me the necks of my enemies and so on. Um, verse 43, you have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations, and so on. And um, verse 48, you have also lifted me up above those. So it's you, 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 you. And I, I was studying this, and I happened to uh, watch a little interview on, on, on a website of a, of a man who had, had died, uh, somebody well-known, and I'll spare you the details so as not to, so as to protect the innocent. But he had done a lot in his life, and and this was maybe six months before he passed away. And they, they asked him, well, what, what was the secret of your success? And he thought, oh, 
thought about it, and he said, and let a little anticipation grow and grow. And he said, well, the secret of my success is hard work. I worked hard, worked hard all my life. And um, so be it. But you know, if they asked David what the secret of his success was, what, what would he say? <laughs> he wouldn't say it was hard work, would he? He would have said, well, God, God gave me this. God gave me that. God helped me here. God, God we, we heard it last week when Jezebel was speaking about David and Goliath, right? God, God gave me those little stones. And yeah, I slew a giant, but I didn't know what I was doing. I just flung him and he dropped dead and I cut his head off. You know, I mean, God did it, right? He used David. He strengthened his hands for battle and so on. But, but David knew where his success was from. It was from God. God, God did everything. God, God gave me that job. God gave me that wife. God gave me that ministry. God gave me that house. God gave me that car. God, 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 all the way through. So uh, he, he praises God for everything. And uh, this is the delight when we read the Psalm, Psalm 145, Psalm of David, towards the end of the book. He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So David was not full of himself by any means. He gave all the glory to God, and he trusted in God, and he took his problems to God. So <clears throat> I think what blessed me in meditating on this psalm and preparing it for this study was uh, our relationship with, is, with God is built on the love of God, and it needs to be the center of our relationship with God. He's our rock. But there are times when we get into a difficult spot, and even uh, maybe, maybe situations that aren't that difficult, we should not hesitate to cry out to God and just give it all to God and, and say, God, yeah, maybe if you want to do a miracle here, I'd be okay with that. <laughs> because we can't figure it out. But God can and God does intervene miraculously. God answers prayer. So uh, we have it, the example right here. We know that David was a sinner, but he trusted in God. And when he had a problem, he took it to God. He didn't tell God what to do. But we have this example here where God showed up and delivered him from his, from his difficulty. So may God help us to, to believe in God and to come with him with, with situations that are beyond us, that we don't know what to do with, and just say, over to you, God. If you want me to do something, let me know. But <laughs> if you want to intervene sooner than later, we'd be okay with that. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless your word to our heart, to our hearts, and uh, we thank you for the example of David and his trust in you and how you helped him out. And how he was knew right well where his strength came from and where his success came from. It came all came from you. And he gives you the honor and the glory. And we thank you for his good example. And so our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead us and guide us. And if there are situations in our lives that are beyond us, beyond our control, and that we don't know the solution to, may you help us to turn to you and May you intervene and surprise us and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen.